You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Critics Table. Every episode we are joined by three luminary theater critics as they review the latest shows on and off Broadway. You may agree with one, all of them, or none at all. But we ask that you listen first and ask questions later. Let's join the table, shall we? Welcome to the Critics' Table, where we discuss the hottest shows in New York. Today, we are discussing one of the hottest shows all year round, the Tony Awards. I'm Juan Michael Porter II. And I'm Christian Lewis. And let's get into it. So, Christian, this is a bit of a return to Radio City and from the pandemic. What were your overall thoughts of the show? I I had a great time. I got to go this year, which was a lot of fun. You and I are both, like, awards people. I'm out of critics circle, your drama desk. We are very in tune with, like, everything. We have a great sense. When people talk about this season, we have, like, a great sense of the season. So I really like award shows because I feel like it's a moment to actually, like, celebrate and see how a season worked all together. Because we're both very off-Broadway people, the Tonys are always like, oh, but you're missing actually some of my favorite things. But as far as the awards themselves, I was happy with how the show went. I thought it was fun. I thought it was pretty well done. I don't love the the whole like first hour separate streaming thing than the rest of the show, uh, which I find that a little weird. I think it's a little better because they do give those awards their own moment, which sometimes they don't show them at all or just they show the results right after a commercial break. And I think that's really unfair to those designers and usually best score orchestrations. So I'm happy that they had a little bit more of a moment there. And I personally really loved Ariana Bose as a host. She was a lot of fun, gave us a theater kid energy, great opening number, really liked her energy. How about you? She sings, she dances, she acts. I mean, what's not to love? I, I agree with you. And I was not present. I was watching from home because I'm like a keep me away from people as much as possible type of person, unless I have to really be there to review it. I don't like the way that things are separated, the before and after. And for people who don't know um, precisely what we're talking about, the more technical awards are streamed ahead of time um, and aren't seen unless you were present or watching streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And I feel like there are so many people who get involved in theater because of the technical aspects of it, that like not being able to see that moment is a huge letdown. Also, the show would literally not happen without the people who create the background and the sound and the special um, effects. So that's that's always going to hit me. It's a bitter pill for me. Um, That said, I'm glad that 
it's possible to see it in real time instead of them sort of doing a pre-recording and being like, watch it on YouTube, um, farm that out. I felt that the production numbers actually were problematic watching it at home because there were a lot of pitch issues and a, a lot of weird sound mixing issues. I don't know how that was live. Was there a similar sort of thing of like, what's going on with this mixing? That's actually interesting to hear because the sound mixing was definitely off, especially later in the night. Like the performances from Six and A Strange Loop in particular, the sound was very weird. And the people I was with, we were convinced that we were like, okay, it probably sounds better for the televised version. Like the, the sound mixing maybe is weird here, but nope. Okay, apparently the sound mixing was just off all night. And this is not to say bad things about the people who handle that for the... um the televised streaming or, you know, I know it's a lot of hard work. We're just getting back from this uh, huge pandemic that is life shattering. And I feel like, is it mean for me to quibble about those things? But this is someone's job and I am going to quibble. I wish it had been better. And like, as much as we don't necessarily like to think about it this way, the Tony Awards is, if nothing else, one very long commercial for Broadway. And the performances are more important than the awards in that sense. The awards will get some people to buy seats, but more than anything, people at home see a performance and they're like, wow, I need to go see that. I used to watch the Tony Awards with my mom when I was a kid. I'm from Connecticut. We're close. Every year we would go see a show based on the Tony Awards. Just like, that was great. I have to see that. And so for the like sound on the performances to be a little off, it's like, oof, that's a really, really important part to not have be messed up because that's going to get people's butts in seats. Especially because we've seen some of these performers like actually perform in like a Barnes and Noble or like where the sound is terrible and they're like killing it. And you're like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. And so for it to not give that same thing um, in this moment was definitely sad. I'm curious if you were like 12 year old Christian watching this live based upon the performances, which show would you want to go and see? Um... My gay little 12-year-old self would obviously want to go see Six. Um, and I think that uh, Joaquina Calicongo makes everyone want to go see her. Uh, I, I think that performance was amazing. It's the best part of Paradise Square. And I don't totally love the rest of the musical, but that song is great. And they performed the best part of the show, which is a great way to get you to go see it. And... I think as far as like showcasing what the show does, the Strange Loop performance was great. And the camera work on the Strange Loop performance was, I think, the best camera work of the whole night. That moment where they like did the 360 around Jaquel and we got to like see the audience. I was like, that's how you film a performance at the Tonys. That's so, I agree with you with that 360 moment, actually. But I, for a lot of the camera work and not for a Strange Loop, particularly here, I feel as if they are trying to create a music video when they are not music video um, videographers or cinematographers. And the performances were not designed for that. No. Like, interestingly, there was one moment with Ariana DeBose where she turns towards the camera. I think it was, must have been stage right and sings directly into it. And I thought, oh, this is interesting that they framed it this way. But that was the one moment in the entire show where I felt like this was made for the like the video, the audience at home. The rest of it was like, why are you recording it this way? Speaking about camera work, this makes me really appreciate what Spike Lee did with the Broadway musical Passing Strange years ago, um, which transferred from off-Broadway to Broadway. And you really understand that like, oh, wow, 
Live theater and televised productions are completely different creatures. Yeah, absolutely. And then, in like the complete opposite of your question, there were several performances where I was like shaking my head, confused, be like, you did a bad job showcasing what this is. I don't know anything about this musical. I wouldn't want to see it. Like, I guess Girl from the North Country showed what they do, but I have n- didn't tell me a single thing about the musical. MJ, well, the dancing was flawless in their performance. It just felt like, oh, that's the Michael Jackson song, and that's some choreography. Don't know anything about this musical. Mr. Saturday Night, I was just bizarrely confused. People had fun, but I was just so confused what was even happening there. And then I thought it was a real cheat cop-out of the Music Man to have people that they clearly had more people than were in the cast as like to fill out their marching band. And then they did their curtain call, which I'm not the most encyclopedic Tony historian, though I know quite a bit, but I don't think a show's ever done their curtain call for a Tony performance. And if also if that felt very rude to Meredith Wilson to be like, the one thing we're going to showcase is a curtain call. Also, I was appalled that they brought Sutton Foster out and basically made her tap dance with tape over her mouth. Like, how dare you not let Sutton Foster sing at the Tonys? I understand it's a weird situation because all of the production numbers in The Music Man, Marion is not in. I I don't care. Figure it out. Do a medley. Other shows did a medley. Do something. Do not make Sutton Foster tap dance mute. You know, what's interesting there is doing Lida Rose into the, the, the counterpoint, like a section of that would have been such a lovely introduction into Trouble. And I feel like they didn't do Trouble because Hugh Jackman is not very good at it. And there are many people who will be scandalized to hear that because there's a lot of celebrity culture, but we need to call it out for what it is. This is not an ideal role for him, um, talented as he may be. I think the Music Man performance actually worked because the tap is... That is the best moment of the show. I don't love the choreo of that show. I don't think you do either. But the tap is their best choreography moment. So they showcased that. And they, I believe, padded the cast with extra people to kind of fill out that space a bit, which was fine. And the band uniforms are the best costume moment. So they kind of showcased that. However, I do want to like talk about song selection for Tony Awards because... This whole, like, we're going to do an opening number or we're going to do a big choreography number is actually, like, the opposite of what they should be doing, I think, for Radio City. For people at home that don't realize, the Radio City stage is way bigger than a Broadway stage. The space is way bigger. The proscenium is way higher. When you put a Broadway-sized cast doing Broadway-sized choreo on that stage, it looks small. It often looks not good. And I think Company was a perfect example of this. Why did you do an opening number that doesn't have a lot of staging that's cramped and it was very in tension with the space? Where like the best performances often when we think about Tony performances are solos and small things. And there's a reason every Gypsy performance has been just a Mama Rose solo on stage usually because that's what they film best. And that's why I think in a lot of ways that Let It Burn from Paradise Square, that part of the performance of Joaquina's was one of the highlights of the night, of my night, of the audience there. It got the biggest, loudest standing ovation in the theater because that's what's going to work best. A solo on a passerelle, that's what we need at the Tony Awards. Going back to The Girl of the North Country, the Olivia Awards had Shelia Atem sing a song, just very simply standing there, singing. 
and it is brilliant. And I wish that to your point, we could get back to more of that, of these, these moments that really do something for you instead of trying to explain what the show is about. And that makes me think about this sort of trend in the 60s, 70s, where they would have an announcer sometimes with a storybook saying, in this show, we do this and this and this, and this next clip, you're going to see blah, 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 blah. And it's very quick. I don't need to be able to figure out what this show is about by watching an out of context opening number that I then miss the rest of the show for, or this extracted piece. Literally just narrate where we're going with this and what we're seeing and then let the performers wow us. The show comes from the tell. I think it's weird that they still have someone introduce the performances and not say anything really about what the musicals are about. Six was the only one that gave us a slight summary and I was like, oh, thank you. You like knew what your job was supposed to be, whoever wrote that copy. Otherwise, no clue what's happening. Especially Mr. Saturday Nights. I was just so confused and to do that and say you're a musical and give us no context i was like what's happening i think part of that also goes to the fact that they realize that billy crystal is not a good singer and what he sells is charm the man is supernaturally charming i'd say more charming than bill clinton even and yet the musical never really tapped into that i I don't think it should have been a musical i think it should have been stand-up or just a one-man show billy crystal being billy crystal i would have paid all the money in the world for that and i think that's kind of what they gave us of like let's see billy crystal be silly for a moment but did it tell you anything about the musical or why you should see it I, i think that anyone who buys a ticket based upon that performance is going to be incredibly confused and I guess that kind of gets to the point of, we know that this is supposed to be a big commercial for Broadway, but are Broadway producers using it intelligently or effectively? And likewise, on your point about like, I miss when they would introduce things. Remember the days when we would get a tiny little clip and plot summary of the best plays? Sometimes the Tony Awards just forget that there are plays happening because for whatever reason, we're theater people, so we sit through anything. But the Tonys have always thought people will not sit through a scene from a play. And like, whatever, I would. Give me a monologue, give me a scene. Everyone should go get to see what Deirdre O'Connell was doing. However, if they're not going to do that, give us a little two-minute clip. Give us a little plot summary, something. Because, for example, little me watching Tonys in Connecticut with my mom, we never once bought a ticket to a play based on the Tonys. Because, like, you don't even know what they are about. So, like, Tony's do a better job showcasing your plays is also a soapbox for me. You know, I'm going to jump back to something around sound. And this also has to do with the live performances and the fact that the performers are coming from their matinee shows and then having to sit and wait and then get up there and put on this huge performance. And I think that this year the stress got to a lot of the performers. And I think also that there were sound issues going on that they were aware of, which sort of interfered with them. And I, I, I hope that moving forward, we can get back to a place to where the performers and their comfort is prioritized instead of like, we got to put on this massive show to maybe scale things back and say, hey, it's okay to be smaller, especially for giving the quality that Michael R. Jackson spoke about. You know, if you're going to do anything, make it quality. And right now, we're not letting these incredible world-class performers show themselves off in the way that they deserve to be shown off. Also, can we just, like, 
Dan uh, matinee performances on Tony Sunday. When people who don't know that that happens learn that all of these performers have to wake up to be at dress rehearsal at 10 in the morning, go home, do the show, get ready, come back, sit in the audience, then have to go be their character for four and a half minutes, sit back down, go to an after party, have one day off, and then do another show. It's wild. Don't don't make them perform. Joaquina Calicongo, smartest person there, weeks in advance, called out of this Sunday matinee performance. And I'm glad she did. And she was able to be like present and in her character. Her performance was amazing. She cried during her performance. And she cries every night. But she cried having to get thrown in halfway through her 11 o'clock number, not after two hours of emotion. Because clearly, like you said, she was able to like be present, be centered and do the quality work because she didn't perform that day. And it's like, oh, look at the great things that can happen if we don't force these people to do a matinee. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That makes me now think about the awards themselves. What do we think about... I mean, obviously, Joaquina getting Best Actress was like, for me, if this didn't happen, I was going to be like, what the hell? But like, was there anything else that you really, I mean, let's look at the the winners from the top. Best Play, for instance, went to the Lehman Trilogy. And I'm going to start out and say that I think it should have gone to Skeleton Crew and that I am sort of appalled that half of the awards seem to go to British people um, who were not doing the best work. And there's this weird sort of like obsession with British work, even when it's not on the same level as what we're doing on this side of the pond. Yeah, I think over half the awards went to British productions. It was like The Inheritance, I think, wrongly won last year. And it was like, oh, but it's British. And it's like the Lehman Trilogy, another long play. Oh, it's British. Let's do it. It's like, what? Please stop sending long British plays that are just a lot of men in them. Please. I I don't need any more. I'm good. I think that Lehman Trilogy is a good play. I don't think it's an amazing play. Yeah, I probably would have given this one to Skeleton Crew. For me, this category was like, I don't think these were the best plays this season, even on Broadway. And then like the real best plays were off Broadway. So I was very not invested in the category of best play, weirdly, this year. But what I do have to say about Lehman Trilogy, Lehman Trilogy and Company, which won Best Revival, were the two that won the most awards of the night. And I think they got more awards than they should have. Uh However, I do want to give praise out there because I think there were some Tony firsts out here that for play, lead actor, lead actress, featured actor, featured actress went to four different plays. In musical, lead actor, lead actress, score, book, orchestration, and director 
went to, what is that, five or six different musicals. Like, they really actually, the people who vote, really actually did spread out the wealth, so to say, in, in a way that felt very refreshing and nice to me. So while I do think that Lehman and company were a little over-awarded, it wasn't a year where it's like, okay, one show's going to win 11 of the awards, which I hate when that happens because that does not reflect the fact that we had a season. So I was glad that a lot of musicals and plays actually got awards, even if just one or two. Definitely. And I'm very happy that A Strange Loop won for book and best musical. You know, six winning best score is something that I'm actually okay with. I prefer a Strange Loop score, but I also really admire the score of Six, so I don't come away feeling, you know, grrr about it. One thing I was sort of, I'm going to famously go to my grave angry about this, that Chuck Cooper did not win for Trouble in Mind when, you know, my life has been changed by that performance. And nothing against Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I just, first of all, I think that part is the best actor part, which is how we nominated him at Jama Dusk. Secondly, I just, I'm offended by Take Me Out on the substance that it's a play about a Black man that gives no agency to Blackness or this person's coming into terms with his sexuality. It actually ends up being about a white character who's already gay and who finds a sense of pride through baseball. And while that's beautiful, as a Black gay man living with HIV, I'm offended that a Black gay man would be used as a prop for a white person's edification. I hated Take Me Out. After American Buffalo, it was my least favorite thing of the whole Broadway season. And I was shocked reading reviews of it. But I knew it was going to win Best Revival. And I, like, going and accepted that, but was so mad about it. I don't think it deserved any awards. And I'm on the same page as you, where Trouble in Mind was one of my favorite plays of the whole season. It should have won Best Revival. I think LaShawn's was like an amazing contender for best actress in a play, which we'll get to, and agreed. Chuck Cooper absolutely should have won featured actor in a play, hands down. So yeah, Take Me Out's awards were like some of the ones that made me most angry. I was not mad at six winning best score. It's not like a Broadway score in some ways, and I do think that A Strange Loop was maybe more deserving, but I wanted six to get some things, and I'm happy it got some things. And the song's are incredibly catchy and fun. Like, there's a reason we all listen to Six all the time, and there's a reason that people love it online and it goes viral on TikTok, because, like, the score is a lot of fun. So I'm happy that it did win for score. I'm happy Six got some recognition. Very happy. Toby Marlowe, first non-binary out winner of a Tony Award. So, like, all, all happy for that. My other, like, thing about Six and Strange Loop and... Paradise Square and MJ and Dana H, like that suite of plays, which I cannot believe that Dana H ended up winning sound design and best actress for Deirdre O'Connell. These Tonys felt shocking to me because there was a lot of awards where like shows won an award for what they're best at, which should not be shocking, but it was. And it was so nice. Like what was Dana H great at? It's lead actress and it's sound design. It won. Best part of Paradise Square, Joaquina, she won. Best part of MJ, Miles Frost for lead actor, the choreography and the light design. That's what everyone said. That's what it won. What's the best part of Six? The songs are catchy and the costumes are cool. That's what it won. And it was like, oh my God, shows winning for what they're good at. I think that listeners may not realize this, but 
that's so surprising because the people who are Tony voters usually have an agenda. Quite a lot of them are presenters and are thinking about what's going to tour, what's going to do well. It very rarely actually has anything to do with what is the best. And so when it actually does happen, it's like, whoa. Christian and I, again, being both uh, voters and people who are involved in awards, awards behind the scenes, are usually in those rooms and can see like what people are thinking about. I know that for me, it's like, well, we're not going to nominate something. For instance, The Music Man was not nominated for Best Revival um, or for anything at the Drama Desk. And that's because it was not the best of anything. And we saw it for what it was, a celebrity-driven cast um, grab. And Broadway shows are okay with that because Broadway is a commercial enterprise. It's real estate. And you got to keep that money pumping. So they're going to try to figure out a way to promote that in the best way that they possibly can by giving it an undeserved nomination. Uh, looking at Dana H., you know, I think that Deja O'Connell won winning on Best Actress makes me so happy. She was so incredible. I would love, actually, for there have been more than one person winning this year because I couldn't tell you who I want to win more. Deirdre O'Connell, LaShawns, Gabby Beans. If, if Ruth Nega had won, I would have been like, really? Over everyone else? But anyone else winning, I would have been like, okay, yeah. Agreed. For me, it was like, this is like the most perfect category between Gabby Beans, LaShawns, Deirdre O'Connell, and Mary Louise Parker. Ruth Nega felt like a very weird choice for me. But those four, I was like, oh my god, I have no clue what way this is going to go. They are all amazing. People were all like, oh, we're going to get a triple tie for Lehman Brothers for the first time ever. And I was like, I don't care about any of them, but I would love a four-way tie for Best Actress in a Play. That's funny about Lehman because I very much so disliked the Lehman trilogy. You know, being Jewish, I, I felt that it was... The fact that it is so focused on money is really cringy to me. And again, Ruben Santiago Hudson, you're just not going to tell me that anyone topped that performance. The man is just a national treasure. And as it is, of all the performers in Lehman, the one who interested me most was Adam Godley. And well, I mean, I'm glad for Simon Russell Beale. Leave it at that. I was personally on like the David Morse uh, team for this award, but I was really, really, really shocked that Simon Russell Beale won, not because he's not great, because he actually gives a very good performance, and he carries a lot of the show, like, the entire first act is basically just him talking for most of it, so, like, he carries it a lot. I was convinced that it was either going to be a three-way tie or none of them. Voting-wise, I think it was incredibly improbable for one of them to win. I really don't know how that happens. They never release the percentages of what the votes are, but this was one of those years where it was like, I need to know. Was this a weird plurality situation where like the vote was very split? And I also feel that way about Best Musical. I really would love to know what the vote breakdown was. I don't know if you were, like, nail-biting at home, but in the theater, we were all stressed the majority of the evening because for, like, hours and hours of the evening, A Strange Loop did not win any of the awards it was nominated for. The vibe was tense for a lot of the night because of that. Like, when it didn't win a single design award, didn't win score, orchestration, we were like, this is not going well. I even remember I was, of course it's me, I was, like, on Twitter the whole time. And Michael R. Jackson even, like, retweeted something during the awards where someone was like, I want A Strange Loop to win everything. And he was like, well, that's not happening. And it was like, oh, God, this is not going to go well. 
So then when he, when Michael R. Jackson so deservedly won book, everyone flipped out because we were like, okay, we're probably safe now. When it came time for best musical, A Strange Loop only had one. MJ had three. Six had two awards going in. Paradise Square had one. Girls from the North Country had one. So there, it was not like, oh, it's obviously going to be blank because it already won a lot of awards. And so it was, it was a real... Real tense, but it made for a very, like, exciting, joyous, can't believe it won. Oh my god, thank god they chose the musical that should win. They chose the art, a big theme of the night. Other than celebrating understudies, which I'm so glad everyone talked about a lot, and COVID workers and everyone that makes Broadway happening, a big theme of the night started with Deirdre O'Connell's speech when she won Best Actress that she said, make the weird art. And A Strange Loop is absolutely like the weird art. It is not the music. It's the antithesis of the music man. Uh, and so it was so nice that it won. And it was a thank God exhale moment. That uh, beautiful exhale moment was then ruined because the Tony broadcast was going over and they only let the one white woman lead producer speak. And literally Michael R. Jackson stepped up to the mic and they turned it off. That was not, not the best way to end that, but I'm glad it won. <laughs> It's been interesting with people on Twitter who are like, well, that's the way it's always been. And I want to say this clearly. Whenever someone says that's the way it's always been to defend something, change it. Change it. Because the way it's always been has also been framed around homophobia, misogyny, white supremacy. And like, it's not a good look. So I'm happy that it was a woman who was speaking. But this voice would not exist without this black gay man who literally gave a platform to big bodied fat people, like literally says fat proudly. And that is just not something that you see in our world, not even on Broadway. And and for that moment, I, I just felt like, okay, let's actually put the focus where it belongs on this body very intentionally. I almost wish that she had said, you know what, Michael, this is your moment. We wouldn't be here without you. You read this speech because we're close to the deadline. And I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at the awards. Yeah, I'm mad at the way that it really bothers me when it comes to best revival, best play, best musical, that when they win, it's a flood of people. And it's a flood of rich producers, mostly rich, older white producers flooding to the stage. And meanwhile, I'm like, okay, can you scooch over? Like, let's let Elle Morgan stand on stage. Let's let the cast be front and center. Let's let the writer who made this beautiful piece of art talk. I'm glad you have money and I'm glad you put it into this show, but I don't necessarily need to hear from you about that. Likewise, I'm so happy that Jennifer Hudson got her EGOT because of this, but it really rubbed me the wrong way that there was a slew of, I think, six celebrities that joined on to be producers of A Strange Loop a month ago. And it was very like, write us a check for a Tony gamble. And it paid off, clearly, but I, I really didn't like that. I'm, I'm glad that that money probably really helped Strange Loop, but I don't like this whole like money for Tony situation and like the producers talking on behalf of the writers when it comes to the giant awards of the night because yes they make the things happen but they make the things happen like logistically and financially and the Tonys are supposed to be about the art so like celebrate the artists a bit why not that is the point they are supposed to be but they're not I think one of the themes for us is let's get back to what matters let's get back to why we are actually here and you know years ago in my belief system, 
when you support something, you do so anonymously. You don't put yourself front and center. For instance, you know, as an editor, I will go out and promote an article that someone else has written and say, like, I'm so proud to have worked on this and their work, but I don't go, this piece wouldn't exist without me. I am the moment. Like, no. <laughs> like, one thing I, I do want to say, just looking at choreography, so I'm happy that MJ won for best choreography, but I have to say it rubs me the wrong way that Chris Wilden is the sole recipient, because actually, if you read any of the reviews, the only thing that they talk about is the Michael Jackson movement. The actual movement was created by Rich and Tone Taliuga, who worked with Michael Jackson intensively, and those are the best moments. As a dance critic and a former dancer, when I look at what Chris Wilden created, I don't really like it that much. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But the second the Michael Jackson movement starts, I'm like, oh my God, I'm electrified. I get up and I really hope that the Tony Awards figure out how to classify who's getting what. Uh, over at Drama Desk, we gave a nomination for Best Chore Choreography to Ariel Dele Cassell for her tap choreography because that's what we really loved about the musical. And when it came time to recognizing MJ, we recognized Chris as having stitched everything together as an overall creative director, as well as the Taliuga brothers. I think they're brothers. And I think that we need more of that on Broadway because too often the recognition, once again, doesn't go where it's deserved. That's how I felt about watching the MJ performance. I was like, okay, you're giving me the like MJ choreography of this. If I went on YouTube and looked up the performance of Michael Jackson and his dancers performing this song, I think it would be very similar. And it's like a whole award for that is slightly weird. The other like one weird and then one very good award kind of moments I want to talk about are the Isabel Stevenson Lifetime Achievement Award, which went to Dame Angela Lansbury, but she wasn't there, couldn't be there. It was definitely a, a very weird moment. It happened in the first hour. And I, I don't know how much notice they had that she wasn't going to be there because it was a very weird vibe when that happened and then everyone got very concerned. But that moment was like really flubbed. And usually the winner of that award has like a limited time. Give a 10 minute speech if you want. And so it was there was a lot of scrambling after and then that Paramount Plus special ended 10 minutes early. So that was that was a little... It was a little weird, but then uh, I wanted to talk about the two different in memoriam things. I found Billy Porter's On the Street Where You Live in memoriam kind of weird, honestly. It was a very weird choice of a song. It's a stalker love song, and we're singing it about dead people. Also, this is a classic in memoriam problem, but there was a lot of very weird politicized clapping. There were sections where like no one clapped for the seven people in between the verse and it was just a little weird. Bernadette Peters singing Children Will Listen in that gown with that hair to Stephen Sondheim and turning around to watch the video in between all of her verses. I was sobbing. That was beautiful. So touching. I'm glad they gave him his own moment. I'm glad that she got to sing for it. It was great. There was a weirdness of, for the fans of Into the Woods out there, that's not a song in its own. Uh, and so me and my friend Mackenzie, who was there, pl she played the witch in high school. And we were like, how are they going to do this? Where's, where's it going to end? And so like, it was funny that the song doesn't have an ending because it's not a song on its own. So they just kind of had to like make something up and she kept repeating the title and then eventually stopped, which was a little weird. But she did a great job. It was a really great tribute. And I thought that was very well done. Entirely agree. I, I think one of the things that actually stood out for me was um, seeing Terry Teachout recognized. Um, Terry 
recently passed. He was the theater critic for Wall Street Journal. And, you know, very famously, even if you didn't agree with him, he would listen to you. And I think he actually liked you more for not having his opinions and was someone who really, you know, like stood up for people and, and was just a decent human being. And th that that stays with me. And also the weird cringiness of like, well, I'm, Again, if we're going to acknowledge people passing and there's like clapping and then not clapping, it, it feels like a popularity contest, which I never like. And Billy Porter, love his voice, love him, love his looks, all these things that, again, the song choice. It made me think a little bit about when they had Mary J. Blige sing What I Did For Love, just sort of out of nowhere, just be like, oh, let's sing this song that's popular years ago. And I, I wish there was more intelligent design again, because Billy Porter deserved better, we deserved better, and it was weird. Bernadette Peters, I mean, I have been love, in love with this woman for decades, and she literally just could have been like, <sighs> I would have been like, yes, Bernie! Um, I kind of wish that they performed Sunday instead, and had her there as a featured soloist, like with a big choir, that said, you know what, Stephen Sondheim deserved this, and I'm so glad that even if it wasn't to my taste, decision-wise, he was still featured for many people who don't realize how important he was to our world. Yeah, my, my boyfriend and I were actually, like, taking informal bets on what the Sondheim song was going to be, and it became a joke because his songs are, like, not in memoriam tribute songs. All of them were gonna be a little weird. And I actually think they found one that was not as weird, but we were like, what are they gonna choose? It's just gonna, we got ridiculous enough that I was like, I think they're gonna do Ballad of Cholgas from Assassins. And Danny was like, I think they're gonna do Worst Pies in London. Like we were trying to think of the most ridiculous choices, but they chose one that was great and meaningful. And I just think that it was so sweet and so touching the first time Bernadette Peters turned around after a verse to watch the video. It was like clear that she shouldn't be doing that. That's not really what you do during an in-memoriam. You just stand center stage and sing out like Billy Porter did. But she was so into and in love with her collaborator and artist Stephen Sondheim that was, she was like, no, I have to turn around and watch this video. And it was so touching to see how much it meant to her. She was crying by the end of it and like struggling to get through. But it was like, no, I have to do this for Steve. And so... Loved that. That was definitely a highlight of the night for me. Would you suggest watching this if they ever release it as a like whole thing? Not that they will, but would you say like, oh, definitely rush to sit and watch this production at the Tony Awards? I'm an award show person, and I think you are too, but I also fully acknowledge that they're like often kind of awful to watch. I think the Tony Awards is the best kind of award show to watch. There's performances. The speeches don't go that long. They cut people off a lot. There's a lot of engaging things. It's the opposite side of the spectrum of the Golden Globes, which are like nine hours long of speeches. So if you want to watch an award show, watch the Tonys. It's a lot of fun. I think this year had a lot of fun. They had a lot of performances. They like jam-packed the stuff this year. So I think it's worth watching, but I do fully admit that watching award shows can be kind of boring if you're not very invested in it like we are, but I think there's a lot of fun to be had here, and if nothing else, go find the performances and watch those, because we had some really great ones this year. My This is my sort of controversial thing. I think it's time to leave Radio City behind and to find just a better venue that actually 
suits the productions better or just suits a Broadway musical the way it, it should be. I, I remember seeing um, Philip Glass's Satyagraha at um, LA Opera in 2018 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, which is so wide and like, it's not an opera house. And having watched it at the Met, I was like, what are they doing? It's so spread thin. And to your point about Radio City, it's so big. It doesn't do anyone any favors. And you kind of end up feeling like this is diminished. Having sat through an entire show, we know how meaningful it is. So instead of focusing on going big or going home, let's go with quality and make it, let it do the thing that it actually is there to do. They can fit so many more people in Radio City, which I think is the like only reason they have it there. But I think there's something touching and cool and feels at home when they do it in a Broadway theater, which they did last year because of COVID stuff. But people were really like, oh, this is refreshing. This is where it's supposed to be. This is the size stage. We feel like we're in a Broadway theater celebrating Broadway. It feels a bit more this community, this home to be in a Broadway theater. So I agree. I would love to try that again. Do you think that there were too many performances? Or like, if you were to cut anything, where would you? No, I wanted performances from all the best plays, too. Good point, actually, good point. I'm always thinking about, just in terms of the sort of time and the cut of like, where can we trim the fat to sort of get to the, the meat? And, you know, God bless them, even though I think that there are quite a few things that were not done well, it's a hard thing to pull off. I think it's harder to pull off than the Oscars, and I think they do a better job of it. Yeah, I'm here saying I want more, but then also I'm like, awards are long, but I would, would cut nothing. Well, okay, the one thing I will cut, just because it went so horribly, the gay men's chorus singing Mame during the Angela Lansbury, Isabel Stevenson award thing in the pre-show part was bizarre and weird, and they didn't have enough people, and they looked really sad, and the arrangement wasn't good, and it was, it was like, please stop. That, that that should have been cut. On the one hand, it's like, thank goodness Angela wasn't here. On the other hand, i try again better. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that our listeners actually go back now and watch some of the clips on YouTube and sort of argue with us and tweet at us or let us know like what they think. No matter what, I want everyone to know that Chuck Cooper deserved that award. That's my hot take. <laughs> my soapbox is L. Morgan Lee deserved that award. Do I love Patti Lapone? Yes. Do I think she's giving a good performance in company? No. Uh, Elle Morgan Lee deserves that award. I will yell about that for a while. And also Chuck Cooper as well, and Trouble in Mind, and all of the things. But overall, I think there was a lot to enjoy in these Tonys, and a lot of really nice things to celebrate. I think worth watching. And yeah, I think it, I think it actually was a fairly nice celebration of the year we had. I think there was some things that were left out. I don't think... We spent enough time celebrating the diversity of what was offered on Broadway this season and the large amount of Black plays because several of them just didn't get nominated. But overall, I I had a great time. I think it celebrated the season in a good way. I liked how we spread out a lot of the awards and awarded lots of different things. And it made me really excited to start another Broadway season. You're mm, mm, mm. here. Thank you so much for this conversation. If you would like to follow us, uh, where do you write and what's your Twitter handle, Kristen? You can find me on Did They Like It, Theaterly, Theater Mania, Variety, all of the places. And I'm on Twitter at C. Lewis Reviews. And I'm Juan Michael Porter II. I also write for Did They Like It, Theaterly, Weirdy. Google us. And if you would like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Juan Michael II. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Critics Table podcast. We would like to thank Jose Solis and the BIPOC Critics Lab team who have generously partnered with us on this project. You can find out more about the BIPOC Critics Lab at BIPOCCriticsLab.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss a review and learn more about our critics at bpn.fm slash critics table. The views or opinions expressed by the critics in this episode are solely their own and do not necessarily represent views or opinions of the Broadway Podcast Network. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.